Hello and welcome to our BMJ Clinical Podcast. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. I help look after BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning. BMJ Best Practice is our point of care clinical decision support tool and BMJ Learning is our online interactive and multimedia learning resource. This podcast is about Yersinia pestis. You should learn about how to recognise, report and refer affected patients. You should also be able to answer patient questions by the end. Yersinia has been around a long time. Here is Giovanni Boccaccio on Yersinia in 1360. It first betrayed itself by the emergence of certain tumours in the groin or the armpits, some of which grew as large as a common apple. Merely by speech or association with the sick was the disease communicated to the healthy. Any that touched the clothes of the sick seemed to catch the disease. Many died daily or nightly in the public streets. Of many others who died at home, the departure was hardly observed by the neighbours until the stench of the bodies carried the news. Now it's hard to better that as a description of the disease, but we are going to try. And to help us, I'm delighted to introduce you to Dr. Amish Adalja. Amish is a board-certified infectious disease physician and a senior associate at the Johns Hopkins Centre for Health Security. His focus is on emerging infectious diseases and biosecurity. You can read his blog at trackingzebra.com and follow him on Twitter at AmishAA. So Amish, it would be great if you could start off by telling us a bit about your experience with Yersinia. Well, Yersinia pestis is the cause of plague, and it's probably one of the most uh, prolific killers in human history when it comes to infectious diseases that has really shaped civilizations and changed society in a way that many infectious diseases have been unable to do. My interest in plague really stems from the fact that it's an emerging infectious disease. We continually see outbreaks of plague, even in the United States. We see flare-ups in places like Madagascar. And the other issue is that plague is an agent of bioterrorism. It's been something that the former Soviet Union tried to weaponize. So it is something that is of high national security concern to the world. Okay, so how would you recognize an affected patient? So plague has three different types of forms. The most common form is called the bubonic plague. And the word bubonic comes from the word bubo, which means swelling. And in this type of form of plague, what you see are enlarged lymph nodes, possibly in the groins, under the armpit, and it's very characteristic of of bubonic plague. And that's one of the tip-offs. If somebody has these enlarged lymph nodes and has the right epidemiological characteristics, they're in an area of the world where plague is present, for example, the western United States, Madagascar, parts of Asia, that parts of India, then you should be thinking about plague. When you talk about the other forms, pneumonic, for example, is something that's very nonspecific because it causes a bacterial pneumonia like many bacterial pneumonias, and it can be very, very difficult to distinguish pneumonia caused by plague from any other type of community-acquired pneumonia. So that's where travel history and epidemiologic history and exposure history is very important in order to distinguish pneumonic plague from any other type of pneumonia. The third type is septicemic, and septicemic plague is basically the same as any form of septic shock, where someone is going to have low blood pressure, systemic illness, and be very gravely ill. And again, it's something that's very hard to distinguish from other causes of septic shock. So you have to have a high index of suspicion. Ask yourself, has this person been in an area where plague is common? 
And if you see a patient with suspected plague, what isolation measures should you take immediately? For bubonic plague, there isn't any specific isolation procedure. But when you have pneumonic plague, when plague is in the lungs, or if you have septicemic plague where it is spread systemically, you have to put the patient in what's called droplet precautions because plague is an agent that is transmissible from person to person through respiratory droplets. So droplet isolation involves gowns, gloves, and surgical masks and eye protection when you're taking care of somebody with, with plague because those droplets, for example, that may emanate from someone during a cough or a sneeze could be carrying the plague bacilli in them. Okay, and I'm guessing that you need to refer. How, how urgently should you refer and, and where should you refer your affected patient? Plague is something that's going to be a disease with varying degrees of severity. So if you see somebody with enlarged lymph nodes and you're worried about plague, I think the first thing you need to do is call one of your infectious disease physicians. Somebody with expertise in infectious disease or tropical medicine would be who you should refer. I think that for most people, plague is something that they haven't dealt with or thought about. So they may not remember which antibiotics to use. They may not remember who they have to prophylax with, with medications that may have been in contact with the same environment or that person with plague. And I think it, this is an urgent infectious disease referral. This is something that should be done right away, that you need to get some help. And often some of these patients are going to be hospitalized, but some may present in an outpatient setting to uh, an emergency department, an urgent care center, or a doctor's office with a swelling in their groin and a fever after they've been to an area with plague. Everybody really has to be on alert for plague. But for the most part, these patients are going to be sick, and they may end up more in hospital settings than in outpatient settings. So should you report the disease, and, and how should you do this, and, and how urgently? In many parts of the world, any case of plague is going to be required to be reported to both local health authorities, possibly provincial or state authorities, and national health authorities. So that, that's something that's going to be specific to each locality, and people should be familiar with any infectious disease reporting requirements that their jurisdiction has. This is sometimes, this rises to an international type of event when there are plague outbreaks because they have such national importance and national security significance. So this should be done immediately when plague is diagnosed, that it should be reported to the proper authority, whatever that might be in the location that the physician is practicing in. So I'm guessing that there's lots of potential differential diagnosis to Yersinia. Um, what are these differential diagnoses and how can you tell them apart from plague? The differentials are going to depend upon what type of plague you're talking about. When you're talking about pneumonic plague, the differentials are going to be every etiology of community-acquired pneumonia, from pneumococcus to influenza to, uh, to haemophilus influenza to, to staph aureus pneumonia. Any type, of pneumo any type of organism that can cause pneumonia can have overlapping symptoms with pneumonic plague. Bubonic plague is, is much more characteristic with, with the, the swollen lymph nodes, although there are other types of infections like tularemia, for example, that can cause swollen lymph nodes. So there it's the epidemiology because you have, plague is very geographically restricted based upon its association with rodent vectors. So you have to think, is the rodent population in this location capable of harboring the plague bacteria? And then if that's the case, then you have the right clinical sim symptom, a strange pneumonia that's a little bit more severe than you expect and you're not getting the usual suspects uh, back in diagnostics or someone with a swollen lymph node that looks very suspicious, then you have to allow plague to rise to the uh, higher level on your differential diagnosis. Okay, and what are the common pitfalls, would you say, in the diagnosis of the disease? One of the pitfalls, I think, really has to do with people not having a prepared mind and not thinking that plague is possible. So you may see cases 
that are missed or, or diagnosed as ordinary community-acquired pneumonia or some lymphadenitis, that isn't necessarily the case because someone hasn't thought, does this person have plague risk factors? And I think that's understandable because plague has been something that is less likely to be in the minds of frontline clinicians anymore. It's something that's relegated to travel medicine and infectious disease. And I think that's the biggest pitfall, not just with plague, but with any emerging infectious diseases, is that the physician doesn't really fathom the idea that their patient sitting in front of them could have what is considered an exotic disease, but really, really shouldn't be because there are foci of plague that are spreading the disease all over the world. Okay, thank you. That's, that's really helpful. Are there any other questions that you typically get asked about Yersinia by, by doctors or other healthcare professionals? One of the more common questions I get asked is, where is plague in the world? And I think there's ways to look at that um, by looking at World Health Organization maps of where plague cases are occurring. And I think, for example, uh, to use an example from the United States where I practice, many people forget that plague is endemic in the western part of the United States. And we see cases of plague every year in places like Colorado or New Mexico or, uh, or Arizona. So that people get very alarmed and the media gets very alarmed, but they forget that that plague is geographically present in the United States. So that's the most common question I get is, is plague in this area? And I think that that's something that each clinician, wherever they're practicing, needs to be be familiar with. What emerging infectious diseases are present in their in their location so that they can be more prepared to to address them when they when the need arises? Okay, thank you. That's really helpful. And last question from me now. Uh, if you had one single piece of advice to give to a healthcare professional about your cynia, what what would it be? I would refer clinicians back to the often quoted Lewis Pasteur statement that chance favors the prepared mind. So the more you think about plague, the more you think about where where it exists in the world, the more familiar you are with it, the more likely you are to, to actually diagnose it and not miss a case of plague. I think that this is a disease from antiquity that has haunted humans for, for centuries and centuries and, and, as I said earlier, smashed civilizations, probably was a, a factor in the fall of the Roman Empire. So it is a very significant disease that has that ability to cause widespread destruction. But that's because you have to remember in that era, they did not have antibiotics. They did not have diagnostic tests. They, medicine was very rudimentary. So plague doesn't need to have that same mystique anymore. But it, it's only, it only won't have that mystique if people are prepared to actually diagnose it and treat it and report it as appropriate. Okay. Thank you very much, Amesh. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope this has been helpful. And we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better recognize, report, and refer affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice or BMJ Learning and look at the content on your Yersinia. Thank you once again. <laughs>